Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. PK, how yeah. are oh, you? I'm, I'm doing real well, although I am just itching for NBA hoop, particularly jazz basketball. Oh, I know. Me too. <laughs> 28 games. They have no right to do this to us. <laughs> I totally know why they did this. And if I were LeBron, I would have done it too. But it's not good for me. It's good for LeBron. Right, but I like to think of myself in terms of sports radio as the LeBron of sports radio. It used to be they were back at it with games on Tuesday. Tuesday, really? Tuesday and Wednesday, yeah. Oh, I thought it was Wednesday. I didn't Well, I think there Tuesday. were a couple national TV games on Tuesday, but most of the league was Wednesday. Yeah, okay. But there'd be like a TNT doubleheader. Now, it's Thursday. There's six games, including the TNT doubleheader. And then everybody else is back on Friday. Tuesday seems awful. Quick. Quick, yeah. Wednesday seems about right. But when Friday gets here, we'll be back into it, and away we go. So we will not talk basketball right now, although we'd like to. Let's talk football right now. Are you ready for the quote? The quote. Let's make another run at it. Drew Brees. Yeah. He's coming back, baby. You know, everything ends poorly, otherwise it wouldn't end. And I didn't think it went that poorly in New Orleans, so I figured Drew Brees would make another run at it. I don't think everything ends poorly. I I have to say, in the the NFL, we are getting some exceptions. The guys are quitting because of health when they could grind out another year. We are seeing that. And certainly, Drew Brees is an age where he's turning... Uh, he, did he just turn 41? Yeah. I think right. So. He just turned 41. Not, I don't think the statues ended poorly. It didn't end at the peak. Uh, maybe not poorly, but they were a shadow of what they were. I mean, they were they were fighting for the 7-8 seed in the West. Well, one yeah, and done. letter carry didn't end then. But. He did one more year in L.A. And he could have done, see, the thing about it is, is he, in my and mind. And he could have done another year after that if he yeah, chose. And he didn't. So in that way, there was some nobility that rather than just chase some they stats. Could have, they could have taken another year. They didn't go to the I, lottery. I think Stockton squeezed everything out and then some. Drew Brees, I don't think he's, I, I, he'll be a playoff quarterback next year. I can't say that for sure. Because the team could be gutted by injuries or because he won't be good enough? I don't think it it would be more of circumstantial. I don't think we'll see a massive decline. If I'm him, I get 100% why he comes back. Because you're running out of time and you savor it. And you've got the rest of your life. And obviously this guy is going to be wildly successful in whatever he does. And he's built himself as the face of the franchise. And that's very rare that somebody becomes, when you think of the Saints, you think of Drew Brees, it's rare for somebody who wasn't there from start to finish to be that Tony Gwynn, Cal Ripken. And I guess you'd you'd put Jordan in there. He did it at the end, though. But there was that time away, so it was kind of funky. Uh, And they've got the statue of him outside. But Breeze established himself in winning the Super Bowl, of course, uh, on the heels of the, uh, what was it, the hurricane, was it was a big deal. So he really is the guy, and he's so beloved there, and he's playing well enough to where he's certainly not embarrassing himself. So I get why he'd want to come back. I look at him as a playoff quarterback still. He's and a, I get but is the team a quarterback, a playoff team? I, I think they are, but to your point, crazy things happen in the NFL every year, so I can't guarantee it. But they were not barely a playoff team this year. They were battling right there for the one seed in mm-hmm. the NFC as the season went along. Now, they didn't get it, but I thought they were, I thought they were a very good team. 
I think they were certainly one Absolutely. of the top five teams in the NFL. So I get that he wants. If, if at 41 you want to retire to protect your health, or as John Ellsway said, I, I got nothing left in my body, I'm done. Only you know that, so good for you if you walk off into the sunset. But the way he was playing, he entertains me. I will watch him play quarterback. I will watch the Saints play football. If they are a primetime game, good. Oh, I only watch him for Taysom. <laughs> well, let's get to it then. What does this mean for Taysom? I think this probably means a little more opportunity for him because Bridgewater's a free agent, and now he's going to go somewhere else, isn't he? I mean, You would think so. Right. And so now Taysom can be the backup quarterback instead of being the third stringer. I thought the whole Taysom as a franchise quarterback. Well, first off, I get why Taysom said what he said, because if you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to believe in you? Agreed. So whatever he says, fine. That's what he's got to do. Now, I think if you're the rest of the league looking at him, they don't get to see him practice. They get to see him play. What he's done is certainly intriguing. But I think if the, if you gave truth serum to the other 31 NFL GMs, they'd be saying, if he is that good a quarterback, how come he didn't play when Breeze got hurt? Why did Bridgewater? Well, then Bridgewater goes undefeated. So, okay, maybe they're both awesome and they just went with Bridgewater. But if they're both awesome, why are you risking the health of Hill running around on special teams, jacking up his throwing shoulder, possibly. Now, he hasn't, but potentially he could. That seems like a massive risk to take with a, for a team to take if they think this guy is all of that. If he's really it. Yeah, but he's relatively compared to the draft. You don't know who's it and who isn't it. And with Hill, you don't know if he is it or he isn't it, even though he's in the league. It's funny now because now he seems like this six foot two, two hundred and forty pound uh, indestructible man. And in the when, college game, he got he hurt all the time. I know, I know. It's freaky, and hopefully, it's for him for its days. But I think relative to Taysom, this is great news because because a couple of things, as you said. Bridgewater be unrestricted and the new year starts somewhere in March for the NFL right Mm -hmm. and so that's when they can go ahead and start uh, doing all their stuff for the 2020 season so we'll know in the coming weeks what Bridgewater's situation is and the fact that Bridgewater did play and did go 5-0 and is boding well that somebody will take a shot at him and give him more than the Saints would give plus give him more of an opportunity so I got Bridgewater out of the way that's good news. Secondly, Drew Brees is over 40. He already had an injury that caused him to miss a what number of games. What are the odds he's going to take every snap for 16 games? Very slim. Right. So now, you get Assuming a, uh, the Saints can, don't bring someone else in to well, be the backup. They'll bring in somebody. Right. But, you know, you're but if you're all to, that, you should beat them out. You're going to have to compete. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. So you'll get, you'll still do what you do. And I think they should use it more. I've been saying that. Put them in running back and receiver and tight end and Dude, the guy's a phenomenal talent. I mean, we, if, we've known that could, for years. If you make the difference between winning a Super Bowl right now and not, I mean, put, could Breeze go out there. on top like Elway? And so you'd find more of a role for him. Plus, Breeze already has had the injury. The older quarterbacks, that's one of the amazing things about Brady is he hasn't been injured. He was injured a few years back. He had the one. But the older yeah. dudes, Rodgers was injured, not this most recent season, but the but one Roethlisberger, before. Roethlisberger, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So as you're getting older, and Peyton Manning at the end, he could barely throw five yards. Yeah. And so they had those injury issues. So that gives an opportunity. In my mind, I see this as good news for Hill. And you get more training. 
training under reason I suppose you know at some point it becomes a wash and you've got all the training you need and you need to play in order to develop more but if Bridgewater leaves and they're really that high on you then you can become the heir apparent and you know who knows maybe we're the same situation here next year and Breeze is saying I'm coming back for another year and then so you get the Steve Young thing and you're running wind sprints after the games to burn off energy because you're going nuts but we know the Young thing turned out great and I don't think that Hill is going to be a Young quality talent I would never forecast anybody to do as that a guaranteed to, uh, MVP Super yeah. Bowl champion yeah and Hall of Fame dude I mean if it happens it happens but I don't forecast any I, I very rarely maybe in basketball you can get away with it of forecasting somebody but I don't know that you can in football particularly at the quarterback position when it's so hit and miss but I think this is great news for Hill in his quest to become a starting quarterback well, it certainly should elevate him to the backup role. I think if I were the Saints, I'd look at him as the backup and I'd be drafting the future. Yeah, the future future, because I think Hill's the future. Right. But Hill's 30, so... And you don't know that he's a good starting quarterback in the uh, NFL, so yeah, you have a chance... his age doesn't bother me at all. Go get a guy? Because, yeah, I... If, if a quarter... I wouldn't specifically say we got to draft one for seven years from now because Hill hasn't played much so he could still be going strong at 36 because there's been plenty of guys who've done that uh, but if there's a quarterback available and you like him, take him, yeah but also address the other needs of your club because you're trying to win a Super Bowl now so don't, I wouldn't burn a draft pick on somebody who might be your starting quarterback in 2027 Well, what they know now is Drew Brees is coming back for a 20th year I mean, if they can get Tyler Huntley, I'd take him I see what you're doing there. <laughs> Stirring the pot. <laughs> Stirring the pot. Huntley's a kid who I really hope makes it. He ought to get a look. They won enough. I just love his story, and I hope he makes it. <laughs> the other guys, I'm kind of ambivalent if they make it great. I mean, I hope they all do, but if, I don't really lose sleep either way. I would really like to see Huntley make it. Don't you think it would increase interest in the local college teams if they were cranking out skilled players who went to the NFL? Yes. As it has DBs. We've already seen it. So the answer to that is logical, overwhelmingly, resoundingly yes, because we've seen out-of-town DBs come in here and thinking, I can get a shot. I'm going to get a shot because they could develop. Well, if they could develop this, then yes. That's where they never got their bang for their buck from Urban. No, Urban but, sent a guy to the uh, NFL as a quarterback, and he's won playoff games, and he's had a good career. He's made a lot of money. And it was rocky those first five years because the Niners were a bad organization at that point. But then he settled in and went to the playoffs, and I don't know how many, six, seven, eight playoff games he's played? Uh, yeah, he didn't recruit him. Nope. But they just didn't get their bang for the buck. It didn't lead to one thing and then to another, and... Uh, in that regard, if you want to look at it in that narrow way, absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah, I don't see how you can argue with that. All right. There you go. So, Drew Brees is back. Now the Bridgewater sweepstakes begin. We assume he won't stay in New Orleans. Maybe... San Diego. No, he will not play in San Diego because nobody plays in San Diego. But the Chargers... Uh, see. See what I did there? Dan Fouts didn't play in San Diego? Not anymore. The future. Not the past. The future. Oh, it's the Chargers, just a suburb. Everything has come together. The Have you Chargers, been down there lately? The Chargers, <laughs> the Raiders, the Colts, the Dolphins. What are the Bucks doing with Winston? The Jags. Uh, a, did you say a long the list of Patriots teams. potentially? Patriots potentially. 
maybe Brady's going back there. Maybe he's not. I know one of the Charger teammates, Melvin Gordon, said that Philip Rivers was going to end up with the Colts. But as you say, that's for the new I the new NFL I, year. I don't see him going to Baltimore. Keep him coming. <laughs> Way to cover your tracks. Good work. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up next, Ben's going to join us here on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. Ben Anderson next on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone talking Utah Jazz. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Ben Anderson. You hear him on Utah Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. Ben, good morning. Good morning, guys. Ben, we've been discussing the All-Star game, and it seems like that uh, Elam ending, playing for points, no clock in the fourth quarter, got everybody fired up. Everybody's excited. Both teams played hard, and we quickly agreed. What a low bar. Hey, they played hard. But whatever, it created more excitement, and that's a positive. Uh, absolutely, and, and the truth is we don't ever get that many true superstars and future Hall of Famers on the floor playing hard against one another. You know, the, the U.S. Olympic trials, they're not playing that hard. Uh, and then when you're playing in the Olympics or the, the, the FIBA World Cup, you just don't actually uh, see that many stars on the floor. There's a couple of NBA players, and, you know, Team USA is all NBA players, but even the best international teams, whether it's Spain or France, usually have maybe four guys. So to have 24 of the best players in the world playing hard against one another, even if it's for an untimed 24-point quarter, that is unique, uh, and that's pretty fun to see. Well, yeah, I think that right there, man. LeBron, you got the MVPs, the titles, the Olympics. Now he's got the 2020 All-Star. Man, that ranks right there with some of the greatest accomplishments, right? Um, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how highly those rank, but, you know, I mean, Kawhi was certainly uh, very happy to win the the Kobe Bryant Award, and I do think adding that name to it does does mean something to those players, especially in light of uh, his passing being so recent, but I think that's something that's going to matter for a long time. I I do wonder if coaches aren't going to want to see their players playing in games like that. I'm sure, even though Nick Nurse was the coach, he wasn't dying to see uh, a player like Kyle Lowry getting ready for a playoff run, taking charges against Kawhi Leonard, who's just an enormous person. So in some sense, it's fun. There honestly may be some pushback from the league that they don't want their guys playing that hard in an exhibition game. Ben Anderson joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So looking ahead to the rest of the season, USA Today ranking all the teams, and they put them in tiers. And they have the Jazz in the second tier. We can be this year's Raptors. And they rank them eighth. And they say, I almost put them in the next tier, but that's insulting to a team that figured it all out after a disastrous stars start, followed it up with a five-game losing streak, and entered the break having won four in a row against tough opponents. They are underrated. Do you buy all of that? And if not, what part don't you buy? I buy all of it. I don't know if I'd say they had a disastrous start. I mean, they were never below 500 this year, and it's a brand-new team, and they were you know, trying to work a bunch of players in. So I might disagree with that aspect. Also, I think eight is probably too low. I would buy the Bucks. I would buy the uh, Clippers and the Lakers being better than the Jazz. And I guess you could probably make an argument for the Denver Nuggets. 
uh, then I have a hard time believing that anyone else really is significantly better than the Jazz, whether that's the 76ers or whether that's Boston or anyone else in the Western Conference right now. I, I think the Jazz are right in that conversation around maybe five, maybe six, and, and I think eight probably puts them a little bit too low. I think it's important for the Jazz as they head into the postseason to just be consistent, to not get to where you know they won 19 of 21, and then all of a sudden they lose five in a row, and then they come back and win four in a row. Uh, to me, these 28 games, whatever it might be, Record B is what it will be, obviously. I want to see them have a form of consistency so everybody really knows their roles because they've changed it up a little bit with Conley coming back and O'Neal coming off the bench and, and then what do they do in the backup center spot and how all that is working. So that's what I'm looking for, to be completely set as much as they could possibly be, maybe completely is the wrong word, but to be set as much as they could possibly be going in the postseason because I think that gives them the best chance to win. How would you look at that? Yeah, I agree. I, I, you don't want to see any more five-game losing streaks. Even if, let's say, you know, at the end of these 28 games, let's say you go 18 and 10. You, you don't want to have it be, okay, you won 10 games in a row and eight games in a row, and then you had a 10-game losing streak or, you know, a stretch like that. I think you want to see, you know, maybe a three-game losing streak at the longest uh, because I think this team starts to buy into what their recent record is. They start to believe that's who they are. So when they lose five in a row, they get down. And when they win 19 of 21, they're really, uh, you know, up and feel like they're unbeatable. And I'm sure some of that's natural, but, but you want to limit those long losing streaks because you don't want this team to start to feel – a, that how young they are, truly, with their young leaders. And, and then B, that, hey, this is a hole they can't dig themselves out of. So do you think that five-game losing streak was just a one-off, a combination of unique circumstances, or are you legitimately worried they're going to have another flat spot like that in the last 28 games? I'd be surprised, because they only have 12 teams with above 500 records spread out over these 28 games, and, and I do think quality opponent was a little bit shocking uh, it was weird circumstances, though. Certainly playing a very weird Rockets team shorthanded where it looked like the Jazz took their foot off the accelerator, trying to work Mike Conley back into the starting lineup. I think that was a major part of it. You had some weird and some very tough back-to-backs. Going San Antonio to Denver uh, is tough because San Antonio is certainly probably not a playoff team and not, not the traditional San Antonio Spurs we've seen, but they're going to play the right way. And uh, you're going to have a coach in Greg Popovich who gets his team ready the right way, and they're going to you know, find ways to, to have success against you. And then you do mix in a 38-point game from DeMar DeRozan and 50 points, the best from, uh, that we've ever seen from Eric Gordon, and another 50-point 50 game, 50 game from Damian Lillard during the best stretch of his career. You also probably cut uh, Nikola Jokic during the best stretch of his career. I mean, he had a stretch where he was averaging 30 points and 20 rebounds and 10 assists. I mean, that's basically unheard of, and he did it for three games. So uh, you, you caught some players at some weird times, and you certainly allowed them to put up those numbers, so, so you're part of the problem, but... I do think there was a little bit more noise to that losing streak than maybe we thought at the time. We've seen two or three things going on with the center position behind Gobert. What do you think they'll do and settle on? I think it's going to be Tony Bradley's job. I still think that's the direction they're going to head in. If a name popped up on the buyout market, and that's still happening, you saw Damari Carroll get bought out from the Spurs. Teams are still working on freeing up some of these players. That could happen, and I think the deadline a player has to be on your roster is March 2nd 
for them to qualify for the playoffs. So you've still got a couple of weeks that they could find a guy who, who gets made available that they may feel comfortable with getting a few minutes. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a traditional big guy the way the Jazz have liked to play. Maybe it's uh, Mike Muscala from the Oklahoma City Thunder, even though, you know, that's a long shot because they're going to make the playoffs. There could be a name out there that, that gets bought out that the Jazz have interest in and find. But uh, also, Jawan Morgan has, has played well in his couple of minutes that he played. I mean, I know it was really only the Houston Rockets, but if the Jazz feel confident that that's a player they can rely on when teams go five out, even if it's for seven minutes in the second half or you know four minutes during stretches, if they feel like the Jazz are going to be good enough, and he was plus 11 in that game randomly, if that's a lineup that other teams don't want to go up against, then maybe they don't try and play as small against the Jazz, and they try and beat the Jazz in a more traditional way, and and that's you know that that's probably what the Jazz want long term. So they may not feel like they have to make a major roster change. Jawan Morgan might be a solution. I'll, I'll be curious. I, I honestly don't know how many days Jarrell Brantley has spent with the team. You, you know, you get what forty five as a G League player to get to spend in the NBA uh, as a two way player. I, I have no idea how many of those he's used up. You might rely on him a little bit more heavily down the stretch. Uh, and those are things the Jazz could have been, you know, holding on to and, and waiting on to get to the second half of the season. I figure that Rudy's going to play at least 40 minutes in some of the bigger playoff games later in a playoff series, maybe 42. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think and I think he can do it. I mean, he's one of the best players in the world. We saw that at the All-Star game. We see it most nights that he suits up for the Jazz. He's, he's ridiculous. He's just been an extremely high-impact player, certainly the most high-impact player the Jazz have. Uh, he's probably a top ten player when you look at how he dictates the game. Uh, now, whether or not that means he's going to be, you know, provide you the tenth most wins, that might be a different conversation. But as far as his impact on the floor, it's it's, it's enormous. And if, if he's comfortable playing that many, and you're not, you know, running him into the ground by the time you get to the second series, and you hope you don't need him that much in the first round, uh, I, I don't think there's any reason why you wouldn't want to play him that much. Second place certainly doable. You think it'll be done? Uh Probably not, but I do think that target is getting into that 2-3 spot. So worst-case scenario, at least you get to avoid the Los Angeles Lakers in the second round. And best-case scenario, you hope it's you and Denver in that 2-3 and three spot. And then the Los Angeles Clippers fall to the 4-5 matchup, whether they're 4 or 5, and have to play you know, the Houston Rockets in the first round and then have to play the Lakers in the second round. I think that's probably the dream scenario for the Jazz. And if you get to 2 you're probably playing the Dallas Mavericks, and that might be the Jazz' best matchup. I mean, we've seen the Thunder and Chris Paul give the Jazz problems. Uh, we know the uh, Memphis Grizzlies have given the Jazz problems at the time, even the New Orleans Pelicans, though I kind of don't think they're going to make that push. They've given the Jazz problems. Portland's given the Jazz issues. Dallas is the team the Jazz are perfect against so far this year, and, and I know they, they caught him without Luka Doncic at one point. We're still hard, but I think they like that they can attack Chris Depp's Porzingis pretty much every trip down the floor. Do the Clippers match up so well with the Lakers that they will actually embrace the fourth spot and just rest guys and do the whole uh, let's keep everybody, get everybody healthy and then keep everybody healthy and just sit guys and be content with the 4-5, or is that crazy? No, I, I don't think that's actually all that crazy. And, uh, you, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on what Paul George's hamstring injury looks like. I mean, 20 games is what Mike Conley lost. Now, I know he didn't have the all-star break in there, and that's about 10 days that Paul George is getting advantage of, and I have no idea at the level of, of Paul George's uh, hamstring strain compared to what Mike Conley was dealing with, but they've already been extremely cautious with Paul George, so there's a realistic chance he could lose 10 or 15 games here. And uh, If that's the case, that's good for the Jazz because they probably do slip back to that four seat because I think they're still going to try and take some days off for Kawhi Leonard. I don't think he, he plays every game in this stretch run, uh, and that would be certainly helpful for the Jazz. And, and if it's still not 100%, we know how, how fickle hamstrings are. 
maybe it impacts him in the playoffs as well. So I do think there's a chance that that injury ends up being a little bit bigger than we expect. Do you think it's best for the Jazz to have everything offensively at the end of games run through Donovan or just see what the situation dictates? I think you, you have to see what the situation dictates. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, I think, is still your best offensive creator and, and has certainly found a little bit of a clutch gene. I mean, I think he's hit some huge shots, even though he's had really bad nights recently. I mean, even against Dallas, I thought he hit some big shots late. Uh, he's played well, and I think that's a good sign that, that even when he's not playing his best basketball through the first three quarters or even three and a half quarters, he's tend to have found ways to, to put it together. He really was good against the Houston Rockets in those final six minutes as well. So I think that's a good sign. And, yes, you want him to touch the ball probably every trip up the floor in some sense just because you have to put your best wing defender on him. Uh, and that's going to be helpful for all the rest of the guys on the roster. But, I mean, Boyan Bogdanovich has had a number of clutch shots. And Quinn Snyder early in the season talked about what his clutch numbers are. I mean, when games are close and it's late, Boyan Bogdanovich really doesn't miss a whole lot of shots. He also has an ability to get to the mid-range and, and make good shots there, which is really important, and I bet we see a really good Mike Conley down the stretch as well. I know he missed the last two games with an illness, but I thought he played well once he got put back in the starting lineup over the, that four-game stretch. He's, he looked better off the dribble, and I think we'd seen it at any point this season. And playoffs, you have to be able to isolate, and you have to be able to win a one-on-one matchup, and I think Mike Conley can probably still do that. Five home games to open this up. How many of them do you think they're going to win? Spurs and Rockets back-to-back, and then the Suns, the Celtics, and Wizards, and none of those are back-to-back. You're going to pick four and one or five and zero, oh, aren't you? Which one? Uh, I think you four and one would be really successful. Three and two is certainly a possibility, and I hope Ooh. that's not the case. I wouldn't expect the team to go five and zero oh against that stretch. I mean, the, those back-to-back games to start are, are tough. You know, it, it's just going to be really hard to go San Antonio, Houston. Even though you get to sleep in your own bed, that's that's going to be a really tough back-to-back. But you know, four and one probably isn't terribly unrealistic. I'll be curious how well they match up against Boston. Boston has a lot of those big wings that can create plays that the Jazz have struggled with at times this season, which every team struggles with, but they don't really have a good defender for those matchups, and they've got a couple of guys that can do it, and, and Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, so that might be a really tough matchup for the Jazz, uh, and we'll see them twice before the end of the season. If you're watching the Jazz this year, you get to see them two more times, so th- that's that would probably be the game I'm circling, but Houston seems to be a wild card every time you play them. You just, you know, sometimes you can hang around and beat them, and, and James Harden's going to go two of twelve from the three-point line, and, and you'll be all right. And sometimes he's going to be hot, and Russell Westbrook can go for thirty-eight, and, and you're going to lose that game. So, uh, three and two honestly is a good enough stretch for the Jazz. Beat uh, San Antonio, uh, you know, take care of the Wizards certainly, and, and sneak another game in there. Ben, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in with us. All right, guys. Thank you. There's Ben Anderson. Listen to him on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. When we come back, Ryan Abraham. He writes for uh, he writes for the USC football website, and he's just crushed it with that. So now he's branching out. This guy's becoming a media empire. He's got a podcast, PK. Yeah. The podcast of champions. He's playing off Bill Walton in the Pac-12. See what he's doing right Bill there? Bill says that a time or two. During a time or game. two. I mean, that thing's been out there for the conference for decades. He's picked Bill's, up on it. He's... Bill's picked up on it and is just hammering it on TV broadcasts. Yeah. So now Ryan Abraham's going to cash in on it. We'll talk with him next about USC. Should they be picked to win the South? Are they built for the long run? Or is it one a one-hit wonder and then the recruiting's going to catch up with them because they've had issues there? Plus his take... Colorado and the Pac-12 losing a coach to the Big Ten for double the money. That's next. Stay with us. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to talk college football with Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, host of the Podcast of Champions. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or a Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? It's fun to uh, talk some college football again. Are we a little lull? But uh, get back at it with spring football coming up soon. It should be fun. Well, I like to talk with the one-man empire, the host of the <laughs> Podcast of Champions. Look at you. I see what you did there. We tried to talk a little Pac-12 football. You know, it, it, there wasn't a, no one was really doing that. So we tried to go out there and uh, create a show. It's been fun. I do it with a guy that covers UCLA, David Woods, and uh, we've had a good time with it. Well, obviously the big Pac-12 story is Colorado, who has a coach who is totally and completely committed, and he's telling boosters that while he's negotiating with Michigan State, and he leaves to double his salary, which opens up a million different stories. Is USC above it all? Do you, are USC fans, do they care that much about that kind of stuff, or do they figure, hey, the normal rules don't apply to us, we're USC? No, I think they definitely care about it. I think USC's probably in a, a better position where if, if they could get their stuff right, I mean, they have their own internal issues. Like, it's hard for them to worry about how bad you know the Pac-12 has been running things because USC's had so many of their own internal problems. But they, I think they're better equipped to kind of weather the storm. But seeing what was happening with someone like Mel Tucker, a 5-7 and seven coach, where you're going to double his salary into a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team, and not just his salary, but the salary of his assistants – when you're seeing a Purdue spending over $5 million on a coach, you're not going to see the Oregon States and the Colorados of the world and the Pac-12 be able to do that. The Big Ten can, and the SEC can. So it's a different ball game. And I think when you look at it, are, are the SEC and the Big Ten, are they going to be looking down on the Pac-12 like the Pac-12 would look down on a, a group of uh, five school or a conference like a Mountain West or something. It seems like there's a gap there now. I think USC could weather the storm, but man, twenty, thirty million dollars a year per school uh, and TV revenue difference—it's going to you know, it's going to add up over these years, and it's going to be a problem for all these schools. Yeah, and then you throw in the assistant to assistant coaches too, and you got that situation where they can't compete. And I want you to listen to a quote from Ray Anderson, the Arizona State athletic director, who was on the sports radio station down there in Phoenix last week, and he's basically throwing up his hands. And the spin that the conference is doing well—we're a comprehensive athletic program. And you know, I saw Brock Hewitt. You talk about your podcast of champions he put out a tweet podcast of olympic champions and we know bill walton on the basketball just goes on and on and on about that and they clean up in these other sports and so their spin is well this we're a comprehensive athletic program listen to what ray says and then respond to it we will lose coaches uh, as we've lost assistant coaches uh, in the last month because the SEC and the Big Ten will come along and say, we can double your salary, as I hear Michigan State did with Mel Tucker. We can double your salary pool for your assistant coaches. Uh, and, you know, we're going to have to deal with that. 
But we have accepted that we have more to offer as a conference with a different model, providing more opportunities for a broad base of student-athletes over more sports, and we're okay with that. So we're really good in swimming, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, they do things differently at Arizona State. I I mean, I didn't really agree with the Herm Edwards hire at the beginning, but I think it's working pretty well so far. But this is a, a strange statement because that's, you know, football matters. Basketball matters. Like, that's where the money is, mostly football. And I, it sounds like he's going more towards the Larry Scott side of things. Right, yeah. Where you're, yeah, you're, you know, when I think it was a couple of years ago at Pac-12 Football Media Day, they opened up with, like, the Washington rowing coach or something. Yeah. Like, this is football. You know, right. football is what matters. So that's that's a little disconcerting to hear him say that because you, you have to get football right or those other sports aren't going to be champions anymore because football fuels all those sports. It's great that the Pac-12 is winning Olympic sports championships, but they're being funded by the football team. And if you're going to keep falling farther behind in football, those Olympic sports will eventually fall behind too. Yeah, well, all that's going to happen. They're going to fall behind in money. They're going to fall behind in football. And they're going to fall behind in everything else. Stop me if I'm not making sense here. No, you're completely making sense. And, you know, if you add a sport, we've talked to different athletic directors. It's a million or two or whatever. It, it costs money. But when you're talking about if, if Michigan State can make $35 million per year more than Arizona State can, and then they want to, oh, we're going to add a women's lacrosse team or we're going to add that you can add sports because the TV revenue from football was so big and they're going to be able to put a lot more resources into those sports. And maybe, you know, a Michigan State team that's not – great at swimming and they can't compete with Pac-12 teams, they put a lot of resources into it and they can. And I think it's going to add up over the time. So this is something, and the problem is you're going to see renegotiations of the, the Big Ten uh, TV contracts, first-tier stuff. The SEC, they're going to redo their game of the week with CBS. They're going to get paid a lot more money for that. And that's all going to happen before the Pac-12 can make their move in 2024. And we just still, still don't know what kind of move – the Pac-12 is going to be able to make by then. So I think Larry Scott's hoping for a huge windfall. The schools need it. I'm just not sure it's going to be there. So it's, 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 I'm sorry, it sounds kind of grim, but there's not a lot of positives right now when you're looking at revenue for the Pac-12 versus the other Power 5 schools. Yeah, I think what they're going on is that that the – sole ownership of the Pac-12 network will pay off in the various forms beyond DirecTV, but all these other outlets that have been created for product that they'll pony up the money and that windfall that you speak of, basically, uh, at that point, what, in 2024, I think for this, and I, I don't want to be overstating it, for the survival of the conference, but I don't think that it's beyond the realm to say for the survival of Larry Scott that they better get what they expect. Yeah, I mean, his contract, I think, comes up a couple of years before that. And I think the leadership, you know, the, the Pac-12 leadership, they have to really do some serious thinking. If he doesn't have some bulletproof plan in place, like here's what's going to happen and how we're going to jump back ahead. Because when they signed that contract, uh, 2 or $3 billion, whatever it was, I mean, it, you know, the Pac-12 was at the top, but that was very short-lived. And it seemed kind of short-sighted. You won a small battle by being able to say, here's the Pac-12. And then since then, there have you know, been multiple contract renegotiations for the other conferences, and they keep moving further and further ahead. And I don't know. I mean, you would have to – the revenue shortfall that's happened over the last few years and that will happen over the next four till the contract happens, I mean, that's a lot of money to try to make up. So even if you get some huge windfall from owning your you know, sole rights to the Pac-12 network – 
I don't I don't even see it making up the, the gap that you've already lost. So it's going to be tough uh, for what's going on there. And I think, you know, Larry Scott's definitely been embattled. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like they're going to go in another direction, but we'll see. But I, I just don't think they can wait to see what he does for the contract negotiation before they decide on what his future is going to be. So that's the long-term plan. Uh, the short-term deal, you know, the Utes have won the South two times in a row. Nobody's won the South three times in a row. I thought the Utes were going to be picked third in the South. The preseason stuff is coming out, and uh, PK was just reading a bunch of them to me. Yeah, they're going to be picked second, it looks like, behind only USC. You cover USC for uscfootball.com. Ryan Abraham joined us. You've done it for a long time. When you look at this USC roster, do you see a team that ought to win the South? Yeah, I mean, they're, they got a lot of production coming back. I think uh, Bill Connolly does a good job. I'm not super in the analytics stuff, but you know they're up there in the, as the tops as far as returning production. I think 17 you know, starters are coming back. Uh, you know, they got to replace a couple of offensive tackles. But for the most part, I mean, there's just a lot of dudes coming back, and they should have upgraded their coaching staff again for the second year in a row. Uh, trying to, you know, they're, they're moving all the pieces around around Clay Helton, just not Clay Helton yet. But the roster is really good. I think it's a young uh, defense we saw last year, and, and most of those guys are back. They have a new defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando, um, the former Texas guy who was, you know, really high up. He was one of the highest paid assistants in the country a couple of years ago, and then got fired by Tom Herman last year. We'll see how all the pieces come together, but they do have a lot of production back. I think there's going to be a talent drop-off at USC the following year, but this year it should still be a really talented team and probably be the favorites in the South. But you got to watch out for Utah, even though they lost a lot. And you got to watch out for Arizona State, who I think is coming up well. Um, you know, we'll see. You know, Colorado, I like the direction they were going, but now you got a coaching change. But I think it's going to be between those three in the South. I'm just not sure what uh, UCLA is going to be, you know, could be doing there. But I think it's you know USC. Utah and ASU are the, the probably the three favorites right now. So I think that you fans still have nightmares of those receivers making those catches in the Coliseum this past season. And Pittman obviously was just awesome. Now he's going to take off and, and most likely, I would assume, be a good draft pick in the NFL. But when I look at Vaughns and St. Brown and London and I look at Slovis, although I don't know that he's necessarily going to be the starter, but he had a killer season, I'm thinking that that passing game is going to be just as good and uh, maybe you know they've got some highly touted kids coming in as receivers, so I can argue that the receiving, the passing game, especially with Harrell having it for another year, is going to even be better than it was last season when it was really good. Yeah, that's what's scary. I mean, they do have to replace their left tackle. There's not a great, uh, there wasn't like some number two guy that was going to step in. They might have probably have to move some people, but as far as receivers goes, they had, they had two five-star receivers that didn't even play last year that are going to be right. coming in, Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy. Uh, so yeah, you got to you lose Pittman, but there's a lot of production there. And you saw a guy like um, Drake London coming on, you know, as a true freshman uh, late in the season. So they're going to be stacked there. And I think Slovis is going to be the starter. Uh, we're not sure. JT Daniels will do a little bit in the spring, but I don't think he's going to be able to be fully healthy until the fall. But Slovis, I mean, he had the most efficient you know quarterback rating USC's ever had. He he just looks so good as a true freshman. And in the second year, like you mentioned, Graham Harrell. That's all they're talking about is that there's usually this big jump uh, from the year to the next. It's a simpler offense, but I think they understand it more, and you'd have the quarterback and receivers on the same page. So that's what even, you know, I, I know Clay Helton is not the most popular head coach. A lot of fans don't want him there, but 
they could really score a whole lot of points with this offense and all that skill talent. So with the you know, a, a talented defense and, and what they can do on offense, there's a lot of fireworks that could happen with USC. So I'm curious to see kind of how it plays out. So <clears throat> USC had some good recruits, but the recruiting class also got panned for not having enough and some of the kids they missed on. And, of course, the whole is he coming back or is he not coming back ties the coaching staff's hands. They're going to lose kids with all that negativity out there. But it seems like, unless they beat Bama and US, Utah and start 6-0, and there's going to be a bunch of negativity out there again. Is there a chance that down the road that SC football is going to be paying for this indecision because of what it's doing to recruiting classes? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's really hard to recruit when your coach is on the hot seat, and it's hard and it's hard to get them off the hot seat when the athletic directors aren't making changes. They're changing everything else except the head coach, so it's sort of this cycle that keeps going on. And it was this was the worst recruiting class. 2019's class was the worst in, in the Internet era. They were ranked 20th. Uh, but they end up getting like a transfer in Chris Steele, who's a former four star, and Brew McCoy transferred back in. So it, they kind of saved it a little bit. And they had guys like Keaton Slovis that maybe you didn't expect as a three star to be that good. And uh, Drake Jackson was, you know, playing and starting as a true freshman at defensive end. But this class of 2020 ranked like 60th or whatever. I mean, it was, the, it's definitely the worst. It's probably the worst in USC history. It just wasn't there. And there's just no impact guys. There's, you know, six offensive linemen, and you're not really expecting any of them to play. We've never seen a USC recruiting class like this. Now, the 2021 is starting off better. They got some higher ranked guys, but you're exactly right. Like, I think if it's, you get blown out by Alabama and maybe you lose to Utah on the road and you start off kind of middle, you know, meh, like the fans are going to turn away. They're not going to show up at the Coliseum and it's going to be really hard to, to recruit to that. So it's going to be tough on Mike Bone if they don't start off like gangbusters and at least keep it close with Alabama and get some momentum going into the rest of the season. I think you're going to see the same thing over again and it's going to be hard to convince recruits. So he might have to, if that happens, he might have to make some kind of move during the season and USC's fired their last two coaches in the middle of the season. You probably don't want to do it again, but you might not have a choice because you probably lose yet another recruiting class. And I, if you put back-to-back like horrible classes together, at a place like USC, the whole DNA of the football team is getting four- and five-star guys in. And maybe you don't develop them, but you've got the stars. You can't do two classes in a row at USC without a bunch of stars on it. That would just be uh, it would be a really big hole for the next coach to uh, climb out of. Okay, but can I argue with uh, 77% of the offense coming back and 87% of the defense coming back, they get to the Rose Bowl or even beyond, that the little slip in recruiting will just be made up next year because they'll be coming off a phenomenal season? Yeah, I mean, there's the potential for a great season is there. And I, a lot of USC fans don't even want to hear that because there is so much production coming back. And I think they made – I think their special teams are going to be better. I think the defense overall – is going to be better and more aggressive. And I think they're going to practice harder. We'll see when spring football starts in a couple of weeks. I think Todd Orlando is going to have them tackling a practice. They just kind of had soft practices and they were really panned for that. I think that, I think a lot of changes are made, even though you haven't changed the head coach and they could make some kind of run. But if they, you know, say they lose to Alabama and they lose to Oregon on the road and, uh, you know, maybe lose to Notre Dame and you're nine and three and like you could still win the South and maybe you don't win the conference. Is that really going to be good enough if you're not beating the great teams on the schedule? So I, they can still be, beat a lot of teams uh, this year, and then they can make a run at, at the Pac-12. But I think if you're not winning the Pac-12 this year, it's probably not going to be good enough. But I've been wrong the last couple of years of what it would take to, you know, to, to have a great season. But if you're if you're losing those games, 
the big ones, I think that's what's going to hurt recruiting more. Like you, you have to play Alabama tough, maybe get a win against Oregon on the road, something like that. Um, and, and if you can do that, I think you can help recruiting. But Oregon's been the one that's really been taking the, the best recruits, recruits that normally go to USC. If they're not going to Clemson or LSU right now, because they're coming in, uh, they're going to Oregon. Uh, so I think that's the team. If you can beat them, then that would probably help on the recruiting trail. Well, my favorite part of this interview is where you said it could be a great season and no fans want to hear that. That was, <laughs> they, they, that was awesome. Really, at this point, they're like, I just want to say, they, a lot of the fans are like, I just want Clay Hilton to be gone. Don't tell me this team's going to be great because they got all this talent. Like they, it's, it's to the point where they don't even want to hear that, which is crazy, but that's kind of where it is right now. Ryan, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. USCfootball.com, host of the Podcast of Champions, Ryan Abraham. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, thanks so much for having me. There's Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com, and the Podcast of Champions. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.